have your Bible this morning, uh, turn to Matthew chapter number 7. We are going to read from our base scripture for our series entitled, What Matters Most? What Matters Most to You? Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 24, I'm reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible this morning, says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and what does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Great was its fall. How many know that as we go through life, we are building? You are building a life. You're building relationships. And in the midst of all of that, I believe that we all need to pause every once in a while and look in the mirror and ask ourselves the question, what matters most? What matters to you? What matters most to you? I really believe, I asked myself that question, and I really believe that not only for me but for all of us, our values are what drive us. Our values, whether you know it or not, are what matters most to you. Here's my definition of what matters most. It simply means this, and you know that, as I said, I'm coming from a certain point of view. I I know that Nero, you know, may have some opinions, and I know that Confucius has his opinions, and uh, whoever, they all have their own opinions about life and God and spirituality and uh, why we're here and whether we came from Mars and uh, evolution. And everyone has an opinion, but I'm coming from a biblical point of view. And the definition here is finding and choosing biblical, proven, there's the word, proven values upon which I can build my life. Knowing my life will have purpose, significance, and legacy. So many people are looking to leave a legacy. Now, when we talk about values, here's what we're talking about. We're talking about critically important biblical core beliefs. Remember, we're coming from a biblical perspective. Biblical core beliefs that drive our life and remain consistent in any circumstance. Any circumstance, no matter where you find yourself, what situation you find yourself in, you go back to the default values that are embedded in you, and that's what you do. You can say one thing out of your mouth, I'm this way, and I really value that. But I believe there are two telltale signs that really show what you really value, and that is your time and your money. Where you spend your time and where you spend your money, that's what you really value, no matter what you say. 
You can say, oh, I value relationships, and I just value uh, people, and I, I really love people, and, uh, you know, I, I really value that. But if you don't spend any time cultivating relationships, listening as well as talking, if you don't spend any of that time, you really don't value relationships. And so there are some governing values, seven governing values that I mentioned before. One was value the scriptures. We talked about that, uh, the importance of that. Last week we talked about valuing transformation. This week we're going to talk a little bit about valuing the God of the scriptures. We must also value the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news of the kingdom of God, biblical. Value the mission, why God put you here, the church, and value biblical relationships, which I think we lack, not only in uh, all of these values, but especially in valuing biblical relationships as you look around today. Amen. And so last week we talked about allowing God to transform you, to change you. Come on. We need to allow. See, uh, I saw a note on a board in this very church that talked about how pride uh, is just simply, you know, when you make excuses. But if you really want to be adjusted, if you want to really want to be transformed, then there must be humility. We must allow God to transform us because no matter how hard you try, no matter how many 12-step programs you go to, and believe me, they can be helpful, but they can only be helpful to a point. The only way to be transformed is through the Lord Jesus Christ, renewing our mind with the Scripture. Because otherwise, all you're doing is you're being conformed. Come on. The world can only conform you with its 12-step programs and its philosophy. But God is able to get into the depths. Come on. And a metamorphosis can occur. And you will be changed. You will be changed. But in order to do that, saints, we must understand one thing, and that is that God is God himself and not what we make him out to be. God is God himself. He simply is. The Bible says you must believe that what? He is. He just is. We try to make him so many things. But God simply is. Turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll get there in a moment. My prayer is the same prayer of A.W. Tozer, who wrote in his book about holiness. He said this. He said, O Lord God Almighty, not the God of the philosophers and the wise, but the God of the prophets and apostles, and better than all, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, may I express thee unblamed, that they know thee, not many call upon thee, but many do call upon thee other than thou art, he says. And so worship not thee, but a creature of their own fancy. I hope you're listening to what he's saying. Therefore, enlighten our minds, Tozer says, 
that we may know thee as thou art, so that we may perfectly love thee and worthily praise thee. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. If we begin to worship a God that we make up, we begin to worship a God who is a God of our mind and our experiences, come on, then as Tozer says, we are worshiping a creature, come on, and a creation of our own fancy. But we must humble ourselves and ask God to enlighten us as to who he really is. Come on. We need a knowledge of the holy. I tell you this, if we're able to get an honest answer out of you and out of me to the question, what comes to your mind when you think about God, we might be able to predict your spiritual future. A.W. Tozer also said in that same book, The Knowledge of the Holy, he said, what a person thinks about God tells you a lot about that person. That's saved or unsaved, doesn't matter. Seven billion people on the planet. What a person thinks about God tells you just about all you need to know. It tells you a lot about that person. Come on. You see that our idea of God corresponds nearly as possible to the true being of God is paramount for us building a life and building a good life. For you see, compared with our actual thoughts about him, our creedal statements, come on, don't really mean much. In other words, what I'm saying there is we can say a lot of things. We can repeat a lot of things. We can do a lot of call and response. We can quote a lot of scripture. Come on. We can repeat the Apostles' Creed. We can do all of those things. But if God has not changed you from the inside out, it means nothing other than repeating some statements. Come on. 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says this. In a different version, it says, we tear down every proud idea. Come on. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought, every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Does we also capture every thought and make it give up and obey Christ? That's what we need to do especially as it concerns our perception of God. Come on. I'm saying something to you this morning. Our perception of God has to fall in line with what Paul is saying about our thoughts. We need to bring our thoughts and our perception under the obedience. We need to make it give up and obey Christ. Who are you? You tell me who you are, God. You tell me what you are like. Not someone else. Not even a preacher. We need to all have our own relationship. Come on. I mean, because as a preacher, really my job is not just to teach. Come on. But it's also to encourage you to know God for yourself. And if I'm not doing that, I'm not doing my job. Don't listen to me or anyone just to hear something that will tickle your ears. Come on. 
You need to be driven to know God for yourself. Ask God, who are you, God? Who are you? Turn over to another scripture, Romans. I want you to turn to this one, Romans chapter 1. Turn, with this, turn to this one with me. I believe this, every scripture we know, every passage, every word is so important in the Bible. We know it. When we talked about valuing the scripture, we, we talked about how every scripture that God breathed, come on, that he breathed is important and it has life in it. For me, there are certain scriptures that speak to the time. And I really believe that this whole chapter, really, Romans chapter 1, speaks to our time. But I'm going to start at verse 21. And it says this. It says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them up in verse 24. He gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Oh, I'm going to keep going. 26 says, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves with due penalty for their error. Now, I don't know what could be more clear than what Paul told the Romans about our perception of God. Because when you have the wrong perception of God, it leads to error. It leads to foolishness. It leads to faithlessness. It leads to heartlessness. Come on. Down in verse 32, it says, Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, oh, my God, but give approval to those who practice them. Now, this comes from some folks who don't really know who God is. They think they know who God is, but they don't really know him. You see, we unknowingly relate to God from our point of view. Our insight into the nature of God, saints, is too often discerned from our own experiences and our own conversation about God. But you see, God addresses the perception of him just a little bit in Psalms 50, 21 when he says he's speaking to a people who, whose view of him, come on, is, is based on how we deal with each other, how we forgive, how we love, how we even render justice to one another. But God says, these things you have done and I have kept silent. You thought 
I was altogether like you. You thought I was like you because that's how you deal with each other. You can only see man. You see, the, the, the issue with our perception of God is simply that when we think of God, when people think of God, a lot of times we think of some supernatural force in the universe. There's a force out there in the universe. 90% of the world believes in a greater force that's in the universe. But if you begin to read the Bible about God, it begins to tell you that God is not some force in the universe, but God is a him. Come on. There is a person of God. And now when we hear that, that presents a problem to us. Because when we think of a person, we see each other. And when we try to reconcile a person and a perfect force together, it's difficult for us to do. We can't reconcile that. And so God is either some force that's perfect or he's a person like us who will judge like we do, who will forgive like we do. Come on. Who will relate like we do, who will talk like we do. But God says, you thought I was altogether like you. But he's not like us. Come on. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, you know it. It says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. In fact, one version says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. Not even close, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could ever imagine. New Living Translation. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Not even close. You're not like me. But as we go through life and as we build, I believe our thought and our perception and our ideology and our discernment even of God has been placed upon us by our environment, by the media, by our experiences. I can't speak for many other countries in the world, but I know that in my perception of what I can see, America has about four views of God. Number one, it has an authoritarian view of God, just a judgmental God very engaged in the world, causing bad things to happen when people don't listen to him. God judges human behavior. Sometimes he acts on that judgment. God can become very angry with people. Human suffering is the result of divine justice, but that's their only view. Secondly, on the other hand, a benevolent God. God is very involved in our lives, but is loving, never stern, always there. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. It's a friendly force of positive influence in the world, less willing to condemn people. Everyone goes to be with the Lord at the end. He answers prayers. God is with us all the time and in all things, and he's willing to help us. But that's their only view of him. And then there's a critical God. 
God is removed from daily events, but will render judgment in the afterlife. Do what you're going to do now. Go ahead. But wait till the afterlife comes. Wait till you come before me, because then, then you will be judged. We have needs, but God is not interested in us as individuals. And he will not assist us in our times of need. But in the afterlife, that's when we'll be judged. But that's their only view of God. And then a distant God. God set the universe in motion. He spoke and then he disengaged himself from it. He does not do things in the world or hold clear opinions about our activities or worldly events. He just, he's somewhere way off in the distance. And when this is over, then we will reconcile. But that's their only thought of God. Even Benjamin Franklin once said, Supremely perfect God does not care one bit for such an inconsiderable nothing as man. That was his view. I really believe that the world and we as Americans would just like to make our own God. Come on. We've made up our own God. A God who turns away from us. We read in Ezekiel, he just turned away from his people and the nation. We've just fallen into irreligion. He just turned away. Also, I, I look around and I see that our nation has many gods. Someone once said, it does, there's many ways to get to what you believe is God. Just try to be a good person and we'll all get there together. We'll get there. Here's what we have to understand. God is only revealed in Scripture to us. And you and I, as the church, are his agents for that revelation. God is very specific. God is not what you will make him to be. But he is the God of the Bible. And if you want to know who God is, Go to this, come on, and pray, and God will show you. God has revealed himself in the scripture. Sooner or later, everyone looks for God, whether they know it or not. High achievers who have done it all, come on. Low achievers who have no hope. The very, very elderly who feel like they're running out of time. Or the very young who are running out of alternatives, all look for God. God has revealed himself in the scriptures and through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But it takes an abandonment. It takes a humility. It takes a surrender. Great people have found God. But we must understand that God is not the God that we make up but he is the God of the scriptures. And here's what the scriptures tell us about God. God is a God who can be known personally. Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. This old flesh 
needs to die if I want to move into kingdom living. Can't take fleshly ways into kingdom living. To say that God is knowable is also to say that God relates or has personality. He is personal, and therein lies our problem when we begin to say that God has a personality and God is personal. Well, then how can he be perfect? Because I've never seen anyone who is perfect. All I know are people who let me down. Now, if he's some infinite smoke, then I can believe that that's perfect. But if you're telling me he's a him and the Holy Spirit is a him, then it's hard for me to believe that he's perfect and I can know him personally. But this is the God that you serve. He is altogether perfect and you can know him personally. 1 John 5.20, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we might know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God of eternal life. And for this reason, Colossians says, since the day we heard of it, we do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge. This is Paul's prayer. Filled with the knowledge of him in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. It is up to us to seek and know God. I believe in Isaiah it says, God said, seek my face while I yet may be found. Don't seek my face in someone else. Seek my face in me. God is a God who can be known personally, and God is also a God who is all-powerful. Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. Nothing too hard for you. Psalm 8.3 says, when I consider the heavens, the work of thine own hands, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained. God is all powerful. There is nothing without him. He's everything. I don't know who might look Somewhere else for an answer, but there's only one place. Like an old song says, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there is no other. There is no other way. For he said, I am the truth, the only truth. I am the way, the only way. And I am the life, the only life. He is your breath. No one comes to the Father except by me. We know Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. We quote that so much, but do we believe it? What's our perception of God? I mean, if we really believe that he's able to do above all that we can ask or think, why do we limit him so? Why do we put him in a box so? Why do we do that? Let's take him at his word. He wants you to be an overcomer. Yes, Satan is in this world for a time. But with God, 
in us, who can be against us? Come on. I mean, are we afraid of the one that God created? Is God not greater than the one he created? Why should we be afraid? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? How is it possible that I can fear? This is where we have to get our mind to. And then our actions have to line up with that. Not only, as the psalmist said, whom shall I fear? And not to add to the word, but just in my life, I'm beginning to say, how is it possible that I can fear? When God created my enemy and he caused me to overcome and I have his very DNA because he breathed the breath of life into me. How can I not overcome with a God who is all powerful on my side? Colossians 1.17 says, and he is before all things and in him all things consist. If God goes away, Everything goes away. Everything goes away. Time, space, whatever there is, it goes away. Because in him all things consist. Thirdly, God is a God who is always present. He is here. David said, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? I love this. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your right hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. No matter where I am, God, you are there. And in fact, Wherever I'm going, he's already there. Come on. Think about that. Where are you going? God is already there. Already there. Acts 17, 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. As also some, your own, some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring, his very offspring. That's who we are. That's who we are. Number four, he is a God who simply knows everything. Can we not just admit it? That he knows everything and we don't? I mean, there's sometimes I like to think that I know everything. But just when I think I know everything, I begin to realize how little I do know. I mean, when I realize it, I realize that it's just about next to nothing. Proverbs says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. He sees it, no matter what you do or no matter what you think. And that's not something to be afraid of. And it doesn't matter anyway, because he still sees it. <laughs> Come on. There's nothing you can do to hide. There's nowhere you can go to get out of the presence of the Lord. 1 John 3.20 says, for if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows all things. Because God knows everything and has total knowledge of everything. Because he created not only it, but he created knowledge. Think about that. 
God didn't only create the thing that you seek after, but he created knowledge. (laughs) I can trust him with my life. And I can go to him with all of my questions and concerns, problems, confusion, anything I can't see or understand. Why? Because God has it covered. He knows. He sees. He understands everything about everything and everyone all the time because he is. Come on. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere. He knows me, everything about me, my past, my now, my future. I can trust my life and my future in God's hands. It begs the question, why? And I I ask this question of myself. Look in the mirror. Why be discouraged? How can you be discouraged? And I know it happens. And I know we need to encourage one another because we do get discouraged. Come on. But God is drawing us to a place of understanding and revelation about him. And when we get to that place, then it's not possible for us to be discouraged or offended or even hurt or offensive. Come on. Or hurt other people when we get to that place, when we understand who God is really is. God knows. God knows. Even Job had to admit, but he knows the way that I take. When he had tested me, I shall come forth as pure gold. God means no harm for you. Not a single hair on your head or mine. Does God mean to harm? Come on. Everything he does is for your good. Have you ever considered that if harm comes to you, maybe it wasn't God? Come on now, I'm just asking a question. Have you ever considered that maybe you made a bad decision somewhere along the way? But guess what? Even in that, God knows you. What does he know? God knows. God knows cancer in the body. God knows sorrow of the heart. God knows a child in rehab center. God knows weeping will only endure for a night. He knows the red ink on the ledger. Come on. He knows the felony on the record. God knows a craving for liquor. He knows tears in the middle of the night. God knows the thorn in your flesh. Remember That he knows, he cares, he is with you, and he is not a silent, distant God. Grace has brought you safe thus far, and grace will lead you home. God is not somewhere far off as the world would have you believe. And then finally, God, he is a God who can understand everything that we go through. Because not only is he... Almighty God, the creator of the universe, but he rendered himself a man that he might know us, that he might know our pain, that he might know our disappointments, that he might know our difficulties. Hebrew 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. 
but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Come on. And because he loves me the way that I am with all of my stuff, I can be honest with him. Come on. I can find hope in him. He will never, ever cast me away. He'll never turn me away. He sympathizes with my sinful plights, my failures, and my temptations. The difference in God and a human sympathizer is that not only does he have the ability, but he has the want to to get you out of that situation. Come on. So he just, not, he just doesn't sympathize and empathize with you. He sympathizes and empathizes with you so much that his compassion reaches down to where you are and attempts to bring you to where he is, if you'll let him. If you will let him. If you want to walk in a place of kingdom authority. Peter did it if only for a moment. Elijah experienced it. Joseph experienced it. Peter and John witnessed it when they were up on the mountain and Jesus transfigured. If you want to walk in a place of kingdom authority, you must surrender. It doesn't make sense because the world will tell you that you must be bolder and you've got to go for it and you've got to build yourself up and you've got to write things about yourself and you've got to think about yourself. But in the kingdom of God, you've got to submit all of that to the Lord Jesus Christ and his way. You want to know who God is? That's who God is. Well, that's not fair. Who does God think he is? That just doesn't seem fair. So many things don't seem fair. Because of that, we begin to form God into who we want him to be. God is this way. He's that way. No, God just is. He is the God of the Bible. Come on. And we have to conform to him, not him conforming to us. Hebrews 2.17, therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make a propitiation for our sins. Come on, he stood in the gap for the sins of the people. The prophet Isaiah said, seek his face while he may be found. Call on him while he is near let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God and he will forgive generously. That's what he told those who do not belong to him. But I believe even today he's saying to those that belong to him, like the prodigal son's older brother, you're in the house. Know who I am. I'm not far off. I'm in the room. <laughs> Come on. I'm with you. You are in the house. I am with you, and you are with me. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If you allow me to come in, my Father and I will come in and sup with you. This is unbelievable to me. It's unbelievable. But once I realize he knows not only from a God view, but he knows from a man view. I remember this novel called The Scarlet Letter. And it was about a woman who caught, was caught in adultery. Sound familiar? Woman caught in adultery. And so she had to wear a scarlet A on her sweater 
And that told everyone that she was an adulteress. But you know, there's something interesting that I remember about this novel. Is that as time went on, people began to come to this woman. People who had fallen, people who had made mistakes. They began to come to her and talk to her about the mistakes they have made and ask her how is it that she was able to have a resolve and make it through people ridiculing her and doing all of those types of things. They actually came to her for help. Why do you think that is? Because she actually went through it. Now, I'm not putting her up on a platform. I'm just simply saying that I want to go to a person who's actually been, who knows, who knows. And so God is not just the God who is far off and distant, but he wrapped himself in flesh. And guess what? He knows. He's been through it and he overcame it. Therefore, he's telling you and I that we can go through it and we can overcome it. Because I'm here to tell you this morning that you are an overcomer. I don't care how much debt you're in. I don't care how badly you've messed up the thing. The relationship seems beyond repair. Come on. My health has been bad for 30 years. I haven't spoken to this person in 24 years. They'll never talk to me now. I'm in so much debt, I can't even see the top of the mountain. Come on. I don't care what you've gone through or what you're going through. God sees and God knows. And guess what? He's able to overcome it, and so are you. But it takes a surrender. It takes a surrender in order to overcome. And so my prayer, when I think about all of this and think about who God is and what he's done, And when I look at myself in the mirror and I think about who I am and what I've done, I can simply only pray one way. And that's simply to say, God, you who needs nothing, what could you possibly desire but yourself? Oh, God, what could you possibly desire but you? But in all of your self-fulfillment, you have desired my worthless heart. And it and it alone is what you require from me. The God not only who has everything, but the God who invented and created everything desires your heart. Not just the sinner's heart. He desires the sinner's heart. Come on. Wants to get you into the kingdom. But it doesn't stop there. He desires the heart of the saint because God doesn't get you into the kingdom and leave you there and say welcome and go on to someone else like so many companies do. Come on, with their sales. (laughs) Once they get you in, they forget about you as a customer. It's all about new customers. But that's not God. Once he gets you in, he wants to disciple you, shape you, mold you, transform you, help you to overcome everything that you're going through. He's a God that can do it. Every head bow, every eye closed this morning. I believe 
that God is calling us to a new revelation of him. He's calling us to a true kingdom revelation of him this morning. God wants to reveal who he really is to us. God wants to show us himself. Not the Jesus still hanging on the cross. I want to down another religion, but I'm just telling you, Jesus is not on the cross. That's not the God we serve. For we know him no longer after the flesh. Come on. Not the God that you learned about in Sunday school. Not the God even that you grew up with. I'll even go as far to say not the God that your parents told you about. He wants to reveal a new level of himself. All of those things are fine. I'm not downing them, but I'm telling you, God wants to take you to another level here this morning. And he wants to reveal not America's God, not the world's God. That's why we don't have any pictures of Jesus up here. Again, not downing that, that's all right. But we don't know him after the flesh. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he's the almighty God, and he's all-powerful. And so this morning, if you're here, and you seek a new revelation of who God is, if you're a person that wants to go deeper, like I do, and not just know God after something someone has said, but I mean, I really want to know who he is. If that's you this morning, right where you are, right in your seat, just lift your hand. Just lift your hand. If you're like me and you want to know more about him, I really want to know. I think I know you, God. I think I see all of those hands. I think I do know you, God. But you know what? I want to know more. I want to know who you really, really are. Let's just stand to our feet right where we are. We're just going to pray that God will reveal himself. In fact, what I'd like you to do is stand to your feet. If you're able to, lift your hands toward the Lord. Hands toward the Lord to receive from him now. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we come before you this morning and we say to you, we think we know who you are, God. You've been good to us. We glorify you. We worship you. We magnify you. But Lord, there is more. There is more to you than meets the eye. There is more to you than meets our limited understanding. And if we are to reveal you to the world, we must know you wholly and completely. Wholly and completely, Lord. And so give us revelation, even right now, Father, of who you really are. The God of the Scripture, the God of the Bible, not the God of the world. Reveal yourself. Speak to us, O oh God. Transform us. Take up residence in us. Fill us and fill us and fill us and fill us with your Spirit until we overflow, until we are saturated, until the sounds of the world begin to fade away. And there's only you. There's only you. Show yourself to us, God, and we will receive you. 
As you stand and knock, we open the door to new revelation, even right now, Father. And we thank you, Lord, this morning for transforming us. We thank you for molding us. We thank you for shaping us, oh God. And Lord, we're not going to stop where we are. We're going further because we want to see the miracles. That's right. We want to see the miracles. We want to see the healings. We want to see the debt cancellation. We want to see the restoration of relationships that can't be restored any other way. We want to see the thousands that seek after you but don't know you come into your kingdom even through us, Lord. We want to see it. And so reveal yourself to us this morning, oh God. So, Father, we thank you this morning. We bless your name for your revelation. I pray your blessings upon this people today that, Lord, you would not leave us alone. Don't let us walk out of this place, Lord, and forget about what you've told us today, that we would seek you every moment of every day. Bless this people. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, amen and amen. Give the Lord some praise. And God bless you today.